At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To perhaps my favorite podcast that you're outside of the mocks. I think I think this is probably it for, for me. Wouldn't you, what about for you, Danny? Is this is this up there for you? It's definitely up there. Is it number <sighs> I, I enjoy it. Also, part of part of why this might be there is because I enjoy the prep for this because it's mostly a positive podcast, which I appreciate and, and enjoy. You know, it's like who's doing well now. There are always stories of players that are disappointing in this space. But no, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I like it a, a lot, too. I think it, it's number one, just to be excited about players, to be excited about this feeling of limitless possibility for some of these guys wanting to see what they're going to become we've been doing it for so long too that i think it's we've kind of got a record on this now which i think is pretty decent overall as time has gone on and i just i enjoy the predictive aspect of it as well and just tracking guys each year so yeah i think and probably for a lot of fans and fan bases as well getting a young player an awesome young player that you're gonna watch grow and the team will grow around i think that's maybe other than just having a team that's competing for a championship at the highest level that's probably the most exciting thing until of course you get into like oh wait they're not building around him that well so we might leave but uh in any event let's get into this here let's i think we should start with about, yeah the yeah with the criteria so there are the players that are eligible for this that are in the universe of considered they have to be in the nba so if you are an awesome 19 year old french kid or you're playing at gonzaga or duke or whatever don't count you are not included in this and that's so, so, but you have to, and you have to be age 23, basketball reference age 23 or younger in order to be on this. You can think about it as that means any, uh, a four year player in college would, if, would still be eligible in their first or second year, depending on how old they are when they come out. And you've described this before as it's the, it's 23 is kind of the last age where you typically say, oh, he's only this. So yeah, he's, he, can you believe he's doing this and he's only 23? Once you get to 24, it's like, ah, hey, you know, he's pretty close to his prime. It's not, not really that impressive that he's doing this anymore. <laughs> Obviously, it's a little bit ridiculous to say that one year birthday changes all that. But it's also, yeah, I think the the other thing that you mentioned too, of just, hey, if a guy comes in the league at 19, you're going to spend four, maximum five years on this list, potentially. So I, I think the idea being that, hey, even if the guy's 23, like he, his ceiling 
is a lot higher than his current performance in a lot of these cases so what are some of the other things that we consider pretty heavily on this list as we're coming up with these rankings i focus meaningfully more on overall value over the next five to ten years rather than how good they are at this specific moment in time. If you wanted a list of the best seasons, the players that are having the best seasons, 23 and younger, then you're probably in the wrong place. And it's a balance of best case scenario, reasonable worst case scenario, expected value, because the fact of the matter is players with really high ceilings, you know, maybe ideally MVP caliber or first team all NBA, that is significantly more valuable. Those are almost mandatory parts of truly elite teams than a solid starter. And yes, if a player has below starter, you know, if there's like a possibility that they're a bench guy, then that's going to be a real problem too. But that elite equity matters a lot, but it's not the only thing. So if a player has a high ceiling, but also has a very low floor, then that is a consideration. And something that is more relevant for me this year, this will foreshadow a couple of things than previously, I would call it availability slash expected health capability. Yeah. So if a player is not on the floor and there is reason to believe that it will persist or that it will diminish their level of quality moving forward. Again, this is a broader lens than who's doing well right now. Then that matters. And I guess I can bring up a player in this context, which is Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr., when healthy and available, is a fantastic player. And he is eligible at this is his age 23 season. However, he is currently out of play because of a back issue, which not only has him off the court, but it certainly appears that it limited his functionality this year. And so the possibility of a recurrence, the possibility that it just persists that weighs down his standing in this because that there's a possibility that you either don't have him available or that he isn't the guy that he could be at his peak in a way that is different than I had a bad jump and I fell and had a bad injury. Like this is something that is pers- that could persist and is predictable in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that needs to be considered going forward quite a bit. And a few other things that we can note here, just in general, my list is and this if when if this is a something if i say something that you disagree with please let me know of course. but for me personally and i think this might be one thing we disagree on my list tends to skew a little bit younger because i just see more paths potentially for those players where if they've been in the league for a couple of years even if they're trending to be a guy that's gonna be maybe even a lower end all-star you know for example like i have Lamelo ball above shea gilgis alexander just because i think Lamelo is younger he in theory has a higher upside he has more paths available to him even if you wanted to say to me hey who is the higher expected value over the next six years shea gilgis alexander or Lamelo ball i might say shea gilgis alexander It'd probably be close i'd have to think about that very seriously but i think Lamelo, just being younger and with a more unique skill set is just a, has a higher upside potentially that he may not reach but he still does have that upside so being younger generally just opens up more possibilities but i'm also quick if a guy in the first couple of years doesn't show continued development then he's going to be off that list very quick and so that's why my list tends to skew a little bit younger than maybe some people's would uh and it's not necessary for me you said it's about expected value i put well, expected value is a part of the equation it's not far okay. from the whole thing okay. i think you value like 
best case scenarios and all of that more. But we both value the importance of like being a superstar, that those players move the needle significantly more. And so yeah, that is that is an important part of the equation. But yeah, I do think that there are times that you are that you are more intrigued by that. And that's part of what's fun about this is that we we do have some some disagreements that can be that can be a part of that. Another well, well quickly, quickly to just elaborate on that. Yeah, I do I do value the upside a lot more. And that and part of the reason for that is because I just value winning a championship and being a top 10 type of player in the NBA more than I value just being a, a solid player who's getting a team into the playoffs as the their best guy but not not much beyond that so yeah I, I mean a lot of it comes down to just what do you value in j- just generally in running I mean not running a team but in just trying to evaluate players to me it's all about winning a, a championship as your number one goal and so uh, even this a slight chance at a, at a championship to me is worth more than the certainty of kind of you know being a solid team and it's kind of the same way for me with players as well one other Again, that's just a personal preference yeah and i i think i'm mostly in line with that as well and it another consideration here is positional and or skill scarcity oh yeah so if you are a center that is not particularly scalable on offense you can be a useful player but your ceiling is probably low unless you're unbelievable defensively and that that can be the case there will be players on this list that have defensive potential whereas if you are a primary ball handler whether you're six foot one or six foot eight there's a lot more that you can do with that if you are somebody that can function as a different kind of cog in different systems or you are so good that you can be the system those are all things that matter so like for example he doesn't qualify anymore but like ben simmons defensive versatility matters a lot ben simmons lack of offensive versatility also matters a lot yeah and you also get into the idea this is just a again sort of a what is more valuable for winning a championship true in prospects also just true in our overall nba rankings where you get to at some point you'll get to hey maybe this guy is a number two on offense probably can't be the best player on a championship team but he makes a better number two than this other guy makes a number one and is probably more likely to be on a championship team due to position and complementary skill set you might call that the clay thompson corollary where he just fits in on any team due to his shooting and his defense and yeah if he's your best player you might be a worse team than with you know kind of a lower end all-star creator type but if clay thompson is your second best player then you're doing really well because he fits in so well to what you're trying to do on both ends and complements everybody else so well on both ends let's see what else do we have to hit on here uh you mentioned position i i guess the next thing would be just that generally despite what we just said i would say my number one the most important skill in the nba is efficient shot creation for yourself and others uh and defense is is definitely important but i think offense is harder to replace than defense in the end and so this list is going to skew more towards offensive players the same basic story for me one other thing we will give a development or progression score kind of however you want to think about it and the way that i like to approach that it's from a one to a 10 it's how are we feeling about where that player is and their future their present and their future relative to where we were the last time we did this so that is last time we did it was actually mid-february last of 2021 but the calendar was different so that was the equivalent of mid probably mid-ish january 
And that can be so for, that can be because your you know your your fundamental skill difference. Like you could think about so as an as an example, last year Shea Gilgis Alexander got a ten in the development score for me because he looked like a you know much more capable pick and roll creator, whereas. Luca had a more modest score or OG and Anobi because they they didn't fundamentally change the way I thought of them as players in a positive way. That was doesn't mean they were bad, but they were th- that that's sort of the circumstance. And I will say I have more low development scores this year than I did last year. Yeah, I would agree. Now, part of that could just be the lower offensive environment is kind of just skewing our thoughts on this. Like last yes. year, oh man, offense is way up. Everybody has great stats. Like everybody really improved. And this it, year, it could, uh, it could also down, be, so nobody's getting that much better. It could also be the short off season. Sure. You know, th- these guys didn't have as much time to grow their games, especially if they had a real run. And so that 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 is a factor as well. All right. I think we're ready to go here. Let's start with the players who graduated off of this list. Nobody who's like really that high up. Uh, and this is a noteworthy because you're looking at guys who are in the 2016, 2017 drafts. Nobody in those drafts, at least who graduated out, is really just like a super high level of star. Bam Adebayo was number six for me last year. He's He has graduated out. Jamal Murray has graduated out as well. Uh, he was number eight for me last year. De'Aaron Fox has graduated out as well, though he probably would just have been lowered. Murray probably would have been lowered as well due to his injury. Bam might have actually been a little bit lower for me too. Uh, he, was, he was 23. He's out now. Brandon Ingram was basically number 11, the first guy in my honorable mentions, but in the same tier as some of these other guys. Uh, he, he is now out as well. OG Ananobi was in players to watch. He's out. DeAndre Hunter was in players to watch. Remember, he started off last year really well. We did this about a month and a half into the season last year and you know obviously he's had a, a rough run since then so he probably wouldn't have been in players to watch even if he were still around john collins is out jonathan isaac hasn't played it all obviously he's out as well and then we'll talk obviously about some of the new additions some of whom actually I mean, there have been a lot of guys who i would say have jumped up in a way that i didn't necessarily anticipate who have really improved that are going to feature pretty prominently here who already were eligible for this list and just weren't getting much consideration and now uh, look much better so let's uh, get started here danny uh, oh, oh one more reminder of course veterans of this podcast know this but we're going to do this in tiers so if your guy that you think should be higher is in the same tier as somebody else don't go crazy on it that means that we feel like there's a reasonable argument for someone lower but in the same tier to be ahead of another player uh, if they are not in the same tier then yes by all means come at us if uh, a guy that you think is better than someone in a higher tier is not getting the love so uh but but basically if guys are all in the same tier what that means is we're really splitting hairs between them. we had to put them in some order but we felt like there was a reasonable argument for any of these guys to be higher uh than the others that are in the same tier with the, first my tier one is one player i was more conflicted on it significantly this year than last year and the reasons for that are pretty apparent but I like to think of tier one, you know, because these actually can be sometimes they're more persistent like year to year because we do this exercise. And for me, it's the one guy who I think has real MVP equity without a severe scare. And I think it'll be pretty obvious who I'm referring to there. And that's Luka Doncic. And this is a significantly down year for Luka, his age 22 season relative to expectations.
expectations. But two years ago, 1920, he was arguably the most valuable offensive player in the NBA. He was a little bit below that, but still pretty dang close last year, where individually he was actually, you could argue, more efficient, but the Mavericks were just not quite at that ridiculous level last year. And Luka, yes, his teams have not advanced in the playoffs beyond the first round, but his showings in both of those have given me more confidence in him as a playoff player, especially offensively. They faced a full-strength Clippers team and took them all the way to the brink. Very well could have won that series. And there are a lot of other players that I like on this list, but we'll get into the reasons why. Luka's already played at an MVP level, even if he's not this year. And that, to me, is something that I value really heavily. And there's no reason to believe that he cannot get back there. There's no injury. There's no fundamental change to his game to think that Luka can never come back. Yeah, I don't think I even had as much pause as you did about putting him in Tier 1 by himself. I agree. I think this is the only guy that I look at on this list as being more likely than not to win a future MVP and someone who I think if he had different pieces around him could be the best player on a championship team already and yes I am concerned that he has not come in in great shape again this year he's kind of also been dealing with this ankle injury pretty much the whole year he's, he gets some more nagging injuries than maybe you would like him to have and you would hope that the conditioning issues were behind him that's not necessarily the case his defense has taken a step back this year as well but like I said I, I he clearly to me has the highest upside of anyone on this list he probably I still expect him going forward this year to have the best season of anyone on this list and he also plays a more valuable position and he's the point guard obviously but he just has more size generally fewer defensive issues than some of the other guys that are below him so I I still yeah it's been a disappointing start to the year but I'm not gonna let basically the month and a half that he's played this year and I think that's that'll be a theme for some of these guys too and particularly because there's an adjustment to some of the new rules and all that too I mean he also had like an unbelievable Olympics too he played one of the best playoff series that we've seen against a really good defense with all sorts of wings that should have been set up just about as well as any team to stop him frankly and he still lit them up for most of the last most of those playoffs and then just ran out of gas a little bit at the end of games times and he was doing it with the that neck issue also it's just he's got the highest upside i think i still would predict that he's going to have the highest current production of any of these players and yeah i mean i think he's if you're going to look at anybody on this list and say future mvp probable top 30 player of all time luca is the only one that qualifies so i i don't i just don't think there's a reasonable argument to have anyone else ahead of him that's why he's number one in his own tier i agree uh, what would you what would you give him for like a development score you know probably a five i mean just that's what i give him what would what would be expected you know he did have that great playoff series he's shooting it a little bit better um now i mean the other thing this is an interesting thing too and i would i would be i, I suspect i know the answer but i and i'm sure the study of this has been done and i just i'm not remembering it but we mentioned like shea gilgis alexander had that ridiculous improvement between his second and third year and luca had that ridiculous improvement between his first and second year and so a lot of people would be like man look at the look at the rate that this guy is improving like he's just going to continue to improve at that rate whereas in reality some of it can always be shooting luck too if you just have a crazy one season improvement even as a young player expecting that same level of improvement again the next year even the year after that is probably unrealistic that it's just not possible to continue to get better at that same type of rate there could be something 
something a little fluky about your performance where even if it's not indicative of the player that you are you could be a little bit above that just due to shooting luck and then maybe the next year you are just have average shooting luck or even below average shooting luck so i think to be like oh well he, he has this unbelievable level of improvement that first year i mean yeah he had one of if not the greatest second year seasons of anyone in nba history in his second year and so i think he's just making kind of incremental improvements to his game he took a little bit of a step back with the conditioning uh so but it, it wasn't realistic to expect him to just continue to improve at the same rate he did between year one or two agreed wholeheartedly and another part of why luca to me is in tier one and this will kind of tie in once you get the names of who i have in tier two is that it's easy to see how he fits in on a really successful team like the bigger creator who is capable enough defensively like that is a template that has worked before and you'd want the shooting to be at a more consistent level i mean this so Luca shot from three, 35% last year, but that's the only year where he's been above 33. So you'd like that to be a little higher. And but that the idea that somebody like Luca would could be the best player in the league is not unusual. It's not ridiculous. It's it, it has happened before. It will happen again. He is a little bit of a different template for a wing star in the last 20 years most of those wings who are in the mix for best player in the league also give you a lot defensively are more athletic than he is he's really kind of going kind of more back to like the bird magic level of athleticism at that size and those guys are obviously great players and, and his size definitely helps him on offense but he's not the same level of athlete and defender that guys like lebron or kd or kobe or tracy mcgrady or all the other wing superstars that we've seen over the last 20 years or so one other um, one other small demerit for luca we before this year had we we had the possibility that it was just playing with rick carlisle but this is another year that luca's team doesn't run and with a new head coach and yeah not surprised I mean, he's had he's led really good half-court offenses but that luca maybe it's not being able to burn that burn the candle that far he doesn't have that kind of stamina but it does make it harder offensively when you either don't or can't and i think it's more don't than can't in his case push the ball hard in transition yeah and jason kidd it's not like jason kidd doesn't recognize the value of pushing the ball in transition so exactly and, and yeah luca would actually he pushed it more i was excited about what he could do in transition as a prospect and i think just because he has to control everything for every you know 36 minutes of an nba game it's maybe just not realistic for him to push it the way he did when he was playing fewer minutes back in europe and also frankly when his athleticism relative to the other players was probably higher but that's enough on luca uh, now that we're 25 minutes in maybe we can get to our our, our second uh, player here and um, by the way l last year for me luca was tier one number one with n nobody else in it uh and my number two player i have three players in this tier is one trey young at age 23 he has been very consistently in this top group for me but now he's at number two i do have other players in this tier he was number four for me last year four the year before that three the year before that and this is his fifth year in it so he was honorable mention his first year when he, he started off really really poorly but i was kind of i liked him in the draft and so kept him around and that decision fortunately was uh, rewarded uh but I, I think Trey is number two here for me because he had a very good playoffs last year. I think he's managed to navigate his way around this foul drawing rule change better than anyone thought that he would. He's been just as efficient still. He is the quarterback of one of the best offenses in the NBA, a team that doesn't really have any other great high-level creators, though they do have a lot of good play finishers around him. And he's just a, a wonderful.
wonderful offensive player. He, he, to me, is having the best season of anyone on this list this year. Now he is 23 and, uh, but and has him, good surrounding yeah. talent where some of sure, these guys sure. don't. But Trey Young, he's he's not second on my list, but he's very high. And we'll talk about the difference between two. I'm getting. I'm very interested to know who's number two for you then. I, I will. Um, but so let's get to let's talk about a little bit about Trey first. And so the argument in favor of him, I think, is very straightforward. Trey Young, to use my own terminology, he passes the him alone test clearly. Like he has been the driving heliocentric force behind strong offenses each of the last two seasons, and then the different between him and his counterpart in the bench has been strong for the other two years. So like Trey's doing that, whether it's great offensive surrounding talent like he's had at times or more limited surrounding talent, he can be, he creates... We talked about him a lot in the Best Passers podcast that, that yeah. we released recently. He is one. Yeah, I think he, we both we both had him at number two. Or you had him at number three. I had him at number two. Yes, right? we both had yeah. him. We both had him very high. He can. He's a phenomenal lob player. He creates openings for teammates. And Trey has assuaged my some of my concerns about his shooting. He's now now the thirty seven percent this year is we're still dealing with a small enough sample. But he's the difficulty of his threes. Like I mean, this year only nineteen percent of Trey Young's three-point attempts are assistant, or of his. I believe that's of his makes, actually, technically. Right, speaking. right, yeah. And, and that is remarkably difficult. And so, shooting thirty-eight percent, we'll see what the final full year number is. He was at thirty-four last year. And as you said, Trey, he had a very nice playoff run. The the Hawks made it further than we expected. They did have an easier road than we expected, but he did make it that yeah. way. But the reason why I have him below somebody that you've been higher on than me the entire time, which is Ja Morant, is I have Ja at number two, is because once you get into this territory, I start to think about where it is going and where it is. And so for Ja Morant, these guys are both extremely limited defensive players. But Ja has more athleticism. I think he has more he has more kind of potential on that end, whereas Trey Young is always going to be limited. And while defense is where I started that analysis, I think it applies as well on the offensive end as well, where Trey Young can still get better. There is still plenty of development. He is this good at 23. But I worry about smaller guards imposing their will you know the idea that the best player in the league has very rarely been a small especially a small below average athlete like that is an extremely unusual thing and so if i had to place a bet on which of these two unbelievable talents had the better chance of being the best player in a playoffs i would put that on john morant and both of them are good enough to get you into the dance so I'm gonna I'm gonna put my bet on the guy who I think can take me further. Yeah, I have Jod number three, and which is where he was last year. This is now his third year on this list, and he's been third all three years. <laughs> which is funny because um, he's moved so much more on my list because I had to warm to him in a way that you did not. Where so last year yeah. I had Jod. So here's a I think this is pretty funny. I had John in the same so I had him fourth in the same tier, kind of the same equivalent as last year. I moved him up to second, but I gave Jod a development score of an eight, and I gave Trey a nine and he moved down. But it's just part of that is just the way you're reevaluating in the greater context. I brought up the the context. Like Trey Young is having a better year than John Morant. And if it were solely regular season for me, I would have Trey Young over John Morant. But part of why a big thing for Ja is that I I trust his shot more now than I did before. And that doesn't mean 36% for the rest of his career. And that's just that's just who he is. I don't feel I don't feel that way.
away with him. But unbelievable athlete, talented passer, has the jump shot. It just gets harder. It gets harder to counter him, which I'm very excited about. No, I, I think that's right. It, I think certainly like the jaw, there's a very good argument to have him above Trey. This is really more, and I gave Ja an eight for development. I gave Trey an eight as well. Ja had a, a really good playoffs last year also. I think though, Trey having the playoffs as good as he did and his passing vision being better than Ja, you know, maybe I would say Ja is the higher upside. But my other concern with Ja is just injuries and sure. play style. I think Trey is going to last longer than Ja would. I like. I'm a little worried that we might see a Derrick Rose esque career path for Ja. His, he already had his another falls are knee injury. Almost as scary as Rose's, so that makes sense. Yeah, he also he had an, another knee injury. He had a big ankle injury last year. And, you know, Trey will get his niggling stuff too. But I also think that Ja could experience a greater decline if he loses a little bit of athleticism than. Trey Trey would but yeah obviously we're splitting hairs here on the the 22 year old uh, Morant and then I do have another player in this tier so do I as as I did last year and there, there were all of these guys were in tier two last year there's one other guy who had to move down but uh Jason Tatum is still there for me Ooh, I that is not having, the other guy I had I, I know he's having a really difficult start to the year as a shooter he also really struggled last year with COVID but then came on and had a, a pr- some pretty good performances late in the year and, and in the playoffs I'm just not going to put too much into Tatum's bad shooting so far. I mean, six, 53% true shooting is not great. He's still not a great ISO player. He's shooting 32.6% from downtown. Definitely a worse year than he had last year overall. A worse year than he had in the second half of 2020 also. He also just, he, he's a little inconsistent. He kind of goes through these issues, but he's also only 23. Wings I think take a little bit longer to develop and he's just a guy who he's not going to be a number one on a championship team I don't see that happening but man does he fit in pretty nicely as a number two I think he could look better on a team where he didn't necessarily have to be the number one option and you know he can play off the ball yeah yeah so that thank you for the off the ball sorry I interrupted but Tatum Tatum fits in you know it's sort of the Anthony Davis argument because he's not as elite a defender I mean Davis was the most valuable defender in the playoffs in 20 20 when the Lakers won the title but Tatum can he's extremely scheme versatile on both ends and he's role versatile I, I don't think he's the greatest man-to-man defender but he ex- he operates extremely well in a team concept defensively and we've already seen Tatum thrive in a lower usage role within an offense and there's no reason to believe that it would be any problem for him to get back there I think he likes having the ball in his hands a little more but if they if theoretically you poofed it and the the Celtics had Trey Young on their team Tatum would fit in beautifully there. I have Tatum at the top of my next tier. I have him number five. And the player that I have in as the last player in my tier two, and so I labeled this group, I don't label every group, but I labeled this one significant first team All-NBA upside. And that's, to me, that's an important distinction of like, okay, I could Mm -hmm. see this guy as one of the absolute best at his positional group. That isn't necessarily the same as MVP because I don't like, for example, like it, it'd be hard for Jar Trey to really get into that conversation or the best player in the NBA, which technically for us is different. Um, but that's Zion Williamson. And Zion is the oh, single, interesting. He is interesting. the single hardest player to place in this. But what I went back to and the reason why I had him in this tier is if you and I did this exercise at the end of last season, as opposed to doing it in the early slash middle of last season. Zion would have been not only number two on my list, I would have been at least a little bit torn putting him in the same tier with Luca. 
That's how dominant Zion was. When we did this exercise last year, he, Point Zion had existed for like two or three weeks. And what we saw over the course of last year was one of the most offensively dominant players in the league at age 20. I'll give the full stats for last year. 65% true shooting, 30 usage, 20 assist percentage on a team that did not have a ridiculous amount of surrounding offensive talent. He was playing next to a center the whole time. Granted, Steven Adams does make certain things easier, but he also makes certain things harder. And this year has spooked me in a way that is much more profound than what Jay and Tatum's season has done where it's just like oh maybe you know things are things are bouncing back and remember last year Tatum had he, he did pretty well and he dealt with COVID for a lot of last year and with Zion there are the genuine fears that what has felt him so far especially with the reported management of his weight issues will be something he has to deal with that will lower what he his availability but will also lower what he can be that's all fair but if you were to add, if you were to tell me a player un, a player eligible for this list one league most valuable player and or was the best player in a playoffs he would be number two for me behind Luca, and it's hard for me to put a player that good that far down when the reason this year has been off has been an injury that might not persist yeah i think we're I agree with just about everything that you said. The only reason that I have Zion Lore, I have him number five for me at the top of uh, tier three, is just that I think I, I think there's a likelihood that last season was the best of his career, that we, we're we not going to see him at that level again. And yes, there is the chance, hey, maybe he figures it out, even if he plays everything perfectly from now on, right? Like, let's say he really gets into great shape, he, he eats better, he does all the rehab he possibly can, you know, works with the Pell's Medical staff really well, all that. I think that I still think there's a greater likelihood, a likelihood, so greater than 50% chance even if he does everything perfectly that his career will continue to be significantly impacted by injuries because you just look he's an unprecedented player i mean that's what made him so awesome obviously and he hadn't really had a ton of injuries when he got drafted he had the that knee issue at duke when his shoe blew out but you know he's he's never gonna i mean maybe he gets down to 275 at 6566 but we've just never seen a player with that level of explosion that level of size i mean he's a level beyond even charles barker and he's an even more violent jumper and and just some of the moves that he makes as well it is so, somewhat similar to Derek Rose I mean Jaws kind of in this category too but just those crazy sideways jump stops across the lane and the amount of ground that he's covering and just the force landing on that at 275 pounds and then you throw in that like so much around him is weird you know, there's the not staying in shape there's all the stuff around his camp and there the weird absences with injuries and and not being able to be transparent about that. And there was the lawsuit against him. And it just, it doesn't seem like everything with his camp and with him, as much as everyone really seems to like him personally, is going really well. He's not in a great organization either, which will come up later with some of these guys. If you're trying to predict how they're going to develop, being in a better organization is a part of that. He's not in a good organization that necessarily is going to put great pieces around him, I don't think either. I, I care a little bit less about 
about that because it's I, I, I think that it, I agree with you that if it's the idea of, you know, like, let's say you're buying getting keepers for fantasy or something like that. But it's also like, yeah. I, well, that's I kind of what that is, to, what this is to me. That's kind of what this extent. is to me is like is I mean, if you're just saying like essentially what this question is asking is like, which of these players would I most want to have for the next 10 years? Right. Yeah. Or, but then I, I think younger I, guy but if it's like 13. I think of have in this in this sense. So like I brought up fantasy sports more like, let's say you're playing a video game, the fantasy draft where everyone gets thrown into the pool and everyone gets redrafted and so like but you can argue that zion because of his health and everything else he's more susceptible to and because of his very extreme skill set he's more susceptible to bad management actually affecting his outcome that i think is a totally fair argument i think that's reasonable and then you also throw in some of the fit difficulties in the position also which sure he got a little better defensively last year but you still run into that you run into the idea that he's not a center but his ideal fit is going to be to have a shot blocking shooting center and there's five of those guys in the whole league so and and can you build a good defense around him like yes he is i I thought his season last year was woefully underrated the idea that julius randall made all nba over him was just a complete joke but that said we just we haven't seen him and my he's my assumption is that he's not going to play this year i think that's that if you had to ask me what are the chances he plays the game for the pels this year i would say i would give it you know a 45 percent chance but he's definitely not playing before the all-star break all right we know that for almost certain and he he it doesn't sound like he's having another surgery he had this injection to help with the healing but if that doesn't work then he's going to have another surgery and he's going to be out the year so that's why i had to move him down i just think that the chances of him stringing together multiple seasons like he had last year and potentially even being able to build on that and then there's also just the fact that after his first injury he came back like way less athletic than he was at duke i would expect just even if he can get on the floor again that he may just be a diminished player athletically from what he was i'm just yeah i know i'm all about upside but the health stuff is just too scary for me i desperately hope to be wrong on this and i, I think i'm still giving him a lot of respect to have him at five but i think the chances that we're gonna see you know multiple all-star seasons put together by him in a row you know i'd put that in the 20 percent range at this point due to all the health just the health and the weirdness issues and i still i still would probably sign him to a max contract if i were the pels anyway but i, I talked about that a lot with john so all right so you you have in in tier two um i, I have him in tier three yeah we basically have just, tatum we basically have tatum and zion mirrors for each other yeah it looks that way so who else then is in your your tier three is tatum number five for you and in, in he is three? he is okay. and tatum the the way that he fits so seamlessly onto a wide variety of great teams that even though it feels like the cake is more baked with him partially because he's 23 but also partially just because we've seen we've seen him on different kinds of teams at different kinds of levels normally that might actually lower him a little bit further for me but this is a very bizarre and i mean that in mostly a positive way group of players where this year I like a lot of these guys, but I'm less certain about their eventual outcomes. And so being the being a very good number one, but an amazing number two, like there, some of the guys on this list will end up being better than that, but we don't know that just yet. And so I actually, so this group, Tatum is included, and then it almost encompasses the rest of my top 10. I actually told somebody, uh, I was recording with real for Real Jam Radio with Jared Dubin right before this, and I told him my five, and he's like, I don't even know how you would rank those guys within it. And that's part of why it's so good to have them in the same tier for me. Tatum? Do you want me to go through the whole thing? Does it have it all out there? Um, or do you want to go, Joe? Let me g- just say give the me, next guy. Give me the next guy you have behind him. Evan Mobley. Yeah, I have Evan Mobley at number six as well. I have him in my tier three. My tier three is not as big as yours is. 
And I think of all the players on this list, he is the one that I'm most concerned about that I might have him too. I agree and disagree. So the part that I agree on is that the pathway for Evan Mobley to be on the very short list of most impactful defensive players in the league, that path is wide open for him. I mean, you could make an argument. He, yeah. You could make an he's argument. The he's the best defensive rookie since Tim Duncan. probably. Oh yeah. And I mean, so estimated plus minus right now has Evan Mobley as the number three defensive player in the NBA so far this season. And I, I I brought this up a couple weeks ago. I think we were doing the Cavs for a 1560 that one of the most encouraging stats for me is that when Evan Mobley has been on the floor and Jared Allen has not Jared Allen, who I will mention is eligible for this list. He will come up in a different context later when Mobley has been on the court and Allen has not. And I don't know exactly what Mobley's ideal position defensive role quite is yet. He is the only big that has defensive capability. Typically it's Markinen, Love, and or Dean Wade that are out there. And those guys can be big, but they aren't rim protecting or doing a lot of those other things. The Cavs have defended extremely well. Part of that has been shooting luck. But another part of that is a 105 defensive rating, which is very good, even in this year. But a part of why those lineups have been so good defensively is that they have done, this is a Giannis argument that you've heard from me, they do the big man things well. They've done an extremely good job protecting the rim and they don't foul. And so what that tells me is that Mobley is a driving force, maybe not the only one, but he is a driving force behind that defensive success at age 20 on a team that is extremely young. This isn't like a old hand is teaching them what to do. Like Kevin, like that year that Kevin Garnett was with Carl Anthony Towns and the defensive numbers were better. And we're like, yeah, that's probably KG. There isn't, there isn't a shaman here. It's just these good young guys. And I want to give Mobley the credit. The reason why I'm a little less effusive that of the upside beyond that is I'm not convinced I'm not even crazy optimistic that there is a high leverage offensive player in there. Yeah, I think that's right. He's at 54% true shooting right now. And his usage is below 20. I think he's at 19. Yeah. Now, I I do think we haven't seen as much of his passing as we would have liked. He's still finishing, figuring things out, not necessarily as a finisher right at the rim when he's shooting 73%, but in that shorter range, he's still trying to figure out, like, for example, when he gets the ball on a short roll, how to make a move euro step around guys to make to get from the dotted line to the rim and finish at the rim and so he he is left with a lot of kind of short flips and hooks posting up he hasn't been that effective at least from outside you know he can get all the way to the rim it looks good but he's you know pretty thin he's not a guy who really can get low and move people i'm not sure that he's ever going to be there there's still some concerns maybe about his ability to play center full-time eventually which would be by far the best for his offensive game uh but i think he's been very encouraging how well he's been able to work together with jared allen and their the defensive concerns about him playing the four i think have been largely eliminated but i agree you know i think he's definitely well i shouldn't say definitely but I think it's unlikely that he's going to be a number one style offensive hub. It's just harder to do that as a big man. Anyway, the replacement level at center is higher than other positions as well. Now, his defensive versatility is very exciting, right? His ability to get out on the floor, to switch, that makes me more of a believer than if he were just a total rim protector, that he could be the anchor of not just a great regular season defense, but also a great playoff defense. Agreed. As well as 
as a center. So that really, that he could be not only a great defensive player in the regular season, but could one day be the best defensive player in the playoffs as well. That's extremely exciting to me. On the other hand, defense is not as important as offense. And I also think that defense can be a little bit harder to evaluate and predict because it's so effort-based. I think you can, offense to me, for most guys, obviously guys who really improve their shooting that doesn't fall in this category, but I think offensive evolution is maybe a little bit easier to predict than defensive evolution. I think I've been wrong on some guys I thought would be really good defenders. Like there was a time when we thought Carl Anthony Towns was going to be a really good defensive player, right? And it just didn't happen for him. Maybe that was the KG stuff. But, you know, he was he looked better as a rookie probably than, than he does right now. Well, and so and there Towns', been t- Towns yeah. college film, I would say defensively, right. was, was very good. Yeah. So now, I mean, Mobley looks way better than Towns ever did, oh, even yeah. in his best times. And just some of the numbers as far as how many shots at the rim he's even challenging and the numbers allowed there you mentioned just the overall big man statistics so i do think that there's an argument that i'm underrating defense too much here and that i may be a little bit too low on his offensive upside i i still wonder even if mobley can be the second best offensive player for a team though so like a really good team here is the reason why i'm not i'm not as pathologically afraid of mobley skyrocketing i I think he'll be very good i'm such i'm so feeling so much better about him than i was as a prospect for a bunch of different reasons but the if you go through the in the modern era and it might be fair to compare him to elite players you know you brought it the duncan came up or akim olajuwon or somebody else but you go through some of the best defenders of this era draymond green rudy gobert draymond green you know unbelievable playoff defender and an important offensive cog albeit a a, a specifically yeah. flawed one but draymond by the green, way an- another guy who nobody saw his defense coming by the way exactly i, just, I, I but, do think it's not now, now for a, a big guy who, who has the obvious skills that Moli does I, I, like he's he's clearly going to be a very good defensive player yes. like, will but, he be but, the absolute absolute best i i don't know the but, but here's the point where i'm where i'm going yeah. draymond green actualized maximized his defensive impact and you can make an argument i would that mobley's offensive kind of floor and expected value are higher than draymond's just because his specific flaws but you could also make an argument i mean draymond's an unbelievable passer we talked about him in that in that recent podcast as well but let's say mobley is a similar level defender and a similar level offensive player mobley is younger than when draymond got to that point but that but draymond never figured significantly in our top 10 players in the league like he's he's been in the mix and kind of the lower end a couple of times before but mobley the way he gets to that level the gets beyond that gets to like the maybe not even like the tim duncan akeem level but gets to the joel Embiid level maybe and joel Embiid has never figured that dramatically i guess he was the, there was the injuries have been a factor for him which made yeah, i mean he was he was the per minute mvp sure year, i think he, so but he, the, he was but he was you know seven or eight six i don't think he's ever been higher than seven for me the way that mobley gets there is by being a dramatically better offensive player than he has been so far and so but like that's my point is that like he draymond is unbelievable and does does the things that in some ways that evan mobley does better than we would reasonably expect mobley to get to even if the variance is different here and he still wasn't really in that mix so then the idea is can mobley be a much better offense player and the answer is yes but am i certain of that and do i feel like oh that's like a worst case scenario is that he's draymond level of offensive player no like that would that would be a reasonable outcome for him 
Oh, I think I think he'll be better. Um, I think maybe he'll not be better, but I don't know. As a passer, like, but he's he's already a better shooter. I, I think that his shooting, his ability to put the ball on the floor, I think he'll be able to post up against mismatches. He can also get on top of the rim for alley oops, which is not something that like Draymond can't. He, really he, be he will be a much better play finisher than Draymond has ever been. Now, I, I think the the interesting comparison to me for Evan Mobley is Anthony Davis. Yeah, that's fair. That that to me is the one, and I don't think that he's he's never to me going to have an offensive season at the level of ad i think he could be better have a better defensive career than anthony davis and you know davis has been kind of inconsistent defensively he's had amazing moments but also has had years where it hasn't been as good it hasn't shown up in the statistics for most years the way it already has for mobley actually is some of the defensive advanced stats um you know he he doesn't have the same pop I don't think he's, it'll be interesting to see who ends up being the better shooter. Like AD is certainly, I think as a smoother offensive game can just create more shots. AD might be one of the top three or four pick and roll roll men ever. And I just don't think that Mobley has that kind of feel or explosiveness. Uh, I think AD is a better offensive rebounder. Like, I don't think that Mobley is well, and, be as and good AD as in transition. Holy shit! Right? Like, the best yeah. Now that's what. Sure. I mean, that's you know maybe Mobley can he can get better there with more effort on the offensive end. Mobley probably better passer. But yeah, I I, I do wonder about Mobley's ability to be that number two guy and also it's going to be a while before we see that because he's to be playing with a, another big a, a fair amount of the time which obviously works for the team i'm not saying they shouldn't do that i've certainly done a 180 uh, on that uh with how good he and alan have been together but i do think you know his defense could just be really good and if he can play at like a you know an all-star level offense which i think is a possibility then yeah you're probably talking about a guy who's maybe not a top five player in the nba but a top 10 player in the nba and the other thing i would say too is like when you made the Draymond comparison of Draymond maybe being kind of in the 10 to 15 range that who is a really likely to be top 10 player in the NBA I mean I guess you could say Trey and Ja I think Tatum probably more likely than not doesn't get there for me. Maybe it, it, he has a couple it is, of years. It, it's a part end. of the challenge, and it's also a con- yeah. it's a it's a refrain that I will say for each of the remaining players in this tier for me. It's like it's why it feels so weird to have them, but it's the same kind of flaw of like, do I see an obvious top ten player? No, I don't. So the next guy for me, number seven overall, uh, still at a, this is age twenty season is Lamelo Ball, and he was actually number seven for me last year. Um, I gave him a development grade of five which i think he's he's on track to there are some concerns that i have about him uh zion by the way i gave a four development grade two because obviously the injuries and the conditioning are an issue but also the point zion thing became real and he had an unbelievable season last year so yeah, i gave i gave even, zion a five in development yeah um so yeah lamello is number seven for me where did you have lamello ball Number seven in the same tier. And Jesus. the argument for LaMelo is it's sort of a parallel to an extent of the Trey Young of like, okay, it's pretty it's pretty obvious how LaMelo Ball can be the driving force behind a dangerous offense because he already is. And so that part of the equation is easier. He is less efficient as an individual scorer, 20, sorry, uh, 54% on 28 usage. But encouragingly, 
39% on threes. But what I, what I brought before, the Hornets 114 offensive rating when he's on the floor. That's that's really really good. And a basic and a lot of the non Lamelo lineups haven't haven't popped the same though. They've been better this year. The disparity is actually smaller with and without Lamelo this year. One question I had for you is Lamelo this year has a significant rise on his success on the three ball. So last year, rookie year, LaMelo shot 35%. That's up to 39%. And it's less assisted than last year, but still more than, more like, I mean, way more than like Trey and some of these other guys that we're talking about. But Ball has dropped from 49% to 44% on twos. Does the three success calm you down more than the two problems concern you? Or is it the other way around? About equal, I would say. I mean, that 44% on two concerns me a lot. His finishing at the rim being so bad. You mentioned him as a the driving force of the Hornets offense. I don't know that I'd quite go so far. I and mean, they got Gordon Hayward. Rozier is a pretty good shooter. Miles Bridges has taken a big step forward as well. Everyone on this team can shoot. You know, they're just, they're number one in the NBA or right about there in three-point shooting transition he obviously really drives that he's a really good passer we talked about him again on the passers yesterday too so that can be a supplement to this but yeah I do wonder about a at the end of games in the playoffs can you just put LaMelo ball and pick and roll and he's going to be able to score well enough not turn it over beat guys in isolation finish at the basket with something other than just bringing the ball up with one hand and losing control of it half time as he wildly flings it off the backboard yeah I, I really have some skepticism there. I think he's gonna I be a too. really valuable player he's gonna be an all-star he's such a good passer and the shooting is really exciting I think like he's starting to shoot you know do some off ball stuff take some really quick threes it's still going in for him how real that is you're concluding that it's becoming more and more real his form is still kind of wonky but he's shooting he's also shooting amazingly well from the foul line although he doesn't get there nearly as much of course as you would have liked so i i you know i'm just not but if you comparing him to like trey and ja the other point guards here i just don't think that he's just quite the guy that you can give it to and expect that he's getting your team a good shot out of pick and roll pretty much every time right and 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 if you look at it like we brought up we talked about ben taylor's box creation as a part of the passer passer stuff trey young 18.7 luca 14.4 jaw is at 11.4 and Lamelo's at 10.7 10.7 still a lot that's still higher than a lot that's higher than you know like donovan mitchell or cole anthony or some other like primary guys but it's he's not the he's not the alpha and the omega for the hornets he is a important part of a successful offense but he isn't he isn't the whole thing and i like that you brought up the the kind of the theory in crunch time because i had you that inspired me to look it up charlotte so far this year and we're dealing with a 78 minute sample which is not enough but they're 21st in clutch offensive rating they're below a point per possession 98.8 and there are some good offenses you know the warriors and the wolves and a couple other teams are are, are below that but that does bring to mind those potential shortcomings and then you wonder kind of where it where it might go now worth noting charlotte was number two in clutch offensive rating last year but i don't know i don't know the proportion of yeah. how often a lot, lot of that was rosier yeah think, how but, often lamella was yeah. out there in those minutes last year yeah so i mean that's kind of the question to me now if his off the dribble shooting gets good enough then you know is is he going to be a guy where we're like oh shit we got to change up our pick and roll coverage on this guy because he's shooting it so well off the dribble from three is he going to get to that point but he does seem he obviously is a player who having him there lifts his teammates he pushes the ball he's 
become pretty solid off the ball now he can make plays off the ball if the ball comes to him against a scramble defense uh, he doesn't have to be on the ball due to his shooting which is really nice so yeah just is is that pick and roll ability going to get to the point where it's like okay we're just he can really be that heliocentric guy the usage is up though you know that that's uh, and it was higher even than you kind of thought it was last year but yeah the efficiency is not amazing he's just got to get better from two uh, if he does that and also i think as an individual defender he just he's got to get stronger he's got to compete a little bit more there as a team defender they get a little bit better but he's he's part of the problem for them being he is 29th in, in defense or whatever it is so far i uh, i and yeah. so for i gave Lamelo development score of five the, as did i yeah yeah and so i mean he's been a similar player and that reaffirms things and if if and the other i'll just mention this briefly i will say that his last name freaks me out a little bit in terms of the two-point stuff Lamelo is not the same player as lonzo in a lot of different ways and the free throw shooting i mean even the 76 percent last year 91 percent this year i i think that will tone down at least a little bit but this year only 21 percent of Lamelo ball shots have been at the rim that is extremely low that is concerningly low and it's swapping some of that out for you know for threes but i mean 17 percent as floaters taking about the same number of floaters and restricted area i don't love that he like his older brother does not get to the free throw line that much though he gets there a little bit better so like but it is it is something you know it's maybe it's not fair to c- connect those two players because they do share a bloodline and other things and but they're they're are different in significant ways as players but there's a little bit of me it's like oh god is he going to be is is the two-point stuff especially because he's not an above average athlete like is some of that real yeah he's 52 percent at the rim that's obviously really now worth noting that especially for guards finishing at the rim is one of the things that improves the most yes and you mentioned he's not shooting at the rim that much but i think his floater could become a real weapon you know that's the other way that this could happen is if he's gets to be in the high 40s on that floater which he takes from pretty far out as well he doesn't shoot a conventional mid-ranger but he's got that floater and it's also let's note this too he's 19th in the entire nba and estimated plus minus yep like the advanced stats absolutely love him in just about every way and i'm kind of discounting that because again i'm just like hey what is this really going to be when he's fully formed as an offensive player but i have a number seven i and i cut the tier off at that point but you have others in this group i have two more and the first one is Cade cunningham i thought going into this year you know watching the film at that point if i had to guess where Cade cunningham would have ended up on this list it would have been significantly higher than this probably where evan mobley is at six that way i think I, I mean, I obviously thought he was better than Evan Mobley. I had Cunningham ahead of on the board and everything else like that. But Cunningham, the theory of him is so compelling because the, he can create. He can create for himself. He can create for others. The jump shot that we saw at Oklahoma State was very encouraging, especially when that came, even though that came on the heels of some real struggles when he was in high school. It seemed like a development story there and worth noting that Cade Cunningham 1.1 roughly points per possession on catch and shoots so those the non-dribble shoots that's 60 62nd percentile pretty good and he that part of it you know it was a it was a positive and also Cunningham and this is has crossed over as well his defensive capability execution and effort is unusual for a player his size and his age but especially for a player with his offensive responsibilities and that he's doing that on a team that is obviously bad and that needs a lot from him offensively is extremely encouraging because you have to believe that that is going to continue even if it tones down a little bit 
when he has to do a lot and they're, you know, higher stress minutes because they're playing better opponents and teams are trying against them and everything else like that. But the other things, the off the dribble shooting and some of the creation stuff hasn't been what we hoped. So like the idea of it, I don't, I, I haven't watched this season and thought the, the idea of Cade Cunningham, that's not possible. That's dead and buried or anything like that, but it does seem less likely than it did when we was drafted. I had Cade at number nine, but I had him in, in a two person tier, uh, below the the guys that we've been talking about i just think he while i agree with pretty much everything you said the concerns for me the finishing at the rim is not great as we said that's something that a lot of guys get better at he just both as an athlete and then also just in terms of pure size right if you compare him to someone like jason tatum he's not really i don't know that he quite falls into that he's a small wing category like yeah i I mean i think he could play small forward fine but you know he's not going to necessarily overpower people with his strength i don't think he he can get stronger and you know maybe use his body against smaller players but he's kind of you know he might be kind of more in between a two and a three than a three and a four and 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 that's that harder and he's not and he's not an elite your will at that size yeah and and he's not an elite athlete um you know as hard as he plays is great i think the shooting maybe working more as an off ball type of shooter is where he could be effective but maybe maybe ends and also his passing i think is going to get to be pretty good you know to where his passing will be better than someone like jason tatum right like but he may kind of be you know in between a jason tatum and a bradley beal that that might kind of be more what he is where he's not necessarily able to use his size so much maybe he would work off the ball a little bit more with that shooting ability i think his shooting is going to be just fine um you know he does make plays defense he's got a little bit bigger wingspan than someone like beal and but the overall numbers haven't been great but he missed the entire preseason with that ankle i mean when you have an ankle sprain that keeps you out that long it's going to take a while and and then jeremy grant went out in their whole he's playing with killian hazel like their whole team is fucked like it's telling that even as bad as he's been statistically the offense looks so much better because but he's the only guy in this team who can do any offensively and so i'm well, and even, factoring even that some in of a the little facilitators bit. the players that we thought would make kate cunningham's life easier like kelly Olynyk, haven't been available so it's like you're no. even losing you're losing the thin margin for error that even existed within the within the piston system which is has made things even harder and the tatum part of this i find fascinating because i think there's more of a chance that cunningham works on ball than tatum but probably less of a chance that he works off ball just because tatum has already established it you know the shooting that tatum had early in his career you wouldn't even though cunningham's fundamentals are good there somebody who's already done it is hard is is i'm gonna have more confidence in than somebody who has not and yeah i mean but to be clear i would say my opinion of him has gone down since he got drafted right if we if we just did this list at the draft you know i would have had him in it up in the tier with lamello and uh i mean mobley would have been lower obviously but uh i would have had him in tier three kind of would you have had him with john trey knowing what we knew then like thinking about it no i I don't think so just because of the uncertainty before you see anyone in i agree an nba uniform it's just anybody that's being drafted is tough Uh, you know unless it's like unless it's zion 2019 or anthony davis 2012 i just can't go there with any guy before we've even seen him and i know that sort of goes back on what i was saying before of like oh the the uncertainty can almost be a good thing for some guys in these rankings but like i need to have still seen you in an nba uniform and so 
I think the biggest thing that I probably didn't appreciate about Cade as a prospect is that he is just a little bit smaller than I thought he was going to be and doesn't quite play with the the sort of length and power particularly in the offensive end that I thought he he might end up doing so uh and the injury could be a part of that and the shitty ecosystem in Detroit could be part of that and I'm, I'm factoring that in in not moving him down more uh because obviously there yeah you've there have been some flashes if you like him that you can home in on and that's kind of what we're doing but he also has been terrible so far like there's other than a few flashes you know he's had a few good games and he's starting to come along and he's shooting it better from three and all that but still like the the overall numbers are, are pretty ghastly for Cade and the guy that I had at number eight in the same tier with Cade is Anthony Edwards. he's my number nine so yeah that's yeah this is probably the most consistent you and I have ever been with each other I would say it is and I think part of that is the lack of kind of like these players are all existing in a murky gray area where we know they're really talented but it hasn't fully actualized yet and you and I, I think agree on who's good right now but they haven't gotten there and with Edwards I felt I actually felt aggressive having him this high so I, he's ninth on mine but he's in the same tier like for me I would say Edwards is because of how we structure tiers I, I'm more aggressive here even though he's technically lower on my list because I'm in the you same are, yeah. tier with Mobley and Tatum and those type players and I gave Edwards a development score of an eight and you could argue that it yeah. could even be higher than that because part of part of why I've, I feel a lot better about him now is between the offense and the defense. A, I feel more confident about his fit in a system, like in, on a good team at like the expected value level. But I also feel a lot better about it at the higher ends if he reaches the upper levels because we've already seen Edwards become a capable, impactful defensive player and at his size, but also I would say more importantly at his strength. Like there is a versatile defender in there and that for somebody who might not scale as being the best offensive player on a really good team that defensive capability matters even more and the other part with Edwards is we wondered about this back watching the UGA film on him is if you excise the worst shots out of his rotate out of his stuff and also got him better surrounding talent was there a more efficient player in there than we had seen and while he's still below 55% true shooting he's at 54.6 as we record this I am far more confident now than I was watching his film or his rookie year that that player is is present within him the present production i think is probably being overrated by I agree. a lot of people at this point but i think he's shown enough now where they're just they're re- other than dunks they're really well i mean let's remember at this point last year and he's one of the highest risers on this list he was maybe the most damaging player in the nba when we did this last year and obviously the way he played the second half of last year and, and now the way he's played this year Edwards at the moment is 27% usage, 54.6% true shooting, still not really getting to the line all that much. And we, we complained about LaMelo not getting to the line. Edwards only taken 20 more free throws this year than LaMelo has. And and he's done that and uh, he's played uh, 120 more minutes than LaMelo. The one level of concern that I have is that 36% from three might actually be high for yes. him at the moment, given the difficulties in his shot selection and now he did you know he had those that game with 10 threes like you don't expect that that's a 32 percent three-point shooter but you know maybe he's 33 maybe he's 34 with this difficult diet of shot attempts because for his efficiency right now he is very dependent upon shooting 36 percent from three and yeah, like the, the, that's where he's that's actually maybe the attempts. biggest surprise for me about edward so far is i thought it was going to be if the three-point shot that's going to make him really efficient because he's going to be 55 58 percent on twos 
He's still not over 50. No, and he's not even taking that many mid-rangers either. One of the big problems is that he's still struggling to finish at the rim despite his athleticism. You know, I noted, I think, in the 15 and 60 that he's not even finishing cuts very well, which is supposed to be just like pretty easy finishes. Uh, so that's he's shooting now only 57% at the rim, which for given his athleticism, you want that to be a lot higher. Now he's generating some of those shots. They're self-created. And as I mentioned, rim finishing gets better. And he certainly has more physical tools to finish well at the rim than say Lamelo does so you do expect that that's going to get better his pick and roll numbers are very ugly right now although teammates are shooting a very low percentage on passes out of his isolations and pick and roll his feel offensively still is not great I don't know that he's ever going to be you know a great feel guy he'll throw some good passes every now and again he also is really a ball stopper as well where he just if he because he has that such a quick first step if he would just catch the ball and go sometimes that, that could look really good and, and he's playing in what should be like the, the wolves can't hit a three for whatever reason but he's still playing with carl anthony Towns. that should be helping him a lot but because of the athleticism and some of the flashes that he's shown i have him here but i think he still is one of the most volatile players on this list one of the hardest to rank on this list but he's also i i, I mean there's a possibility to me he's probably got might have this either second or third highest upside of any of these guys at this point just due to that athleticism and and strength and p- like, defensive potential here here's one way of putting it i think at the moment i would be less surprised if, if you like came somebody came from the future and told me i would be less surprised that anthony edwards made a first team all nba than lamella ball i think now there the path is i, I mean with lamella you have to take step forward but the other part of it with edwards that's i have trouble with is you brought up the pick and roll numbers and his role on a successful team is still nebulous to me like i don't think he's going to be the lead creator for a really dynamic offense i don't think he's going to be there and so that leads me like that's been part of why maybe i should have him in a lower tier than these guys i'm less confident in that with edwards and it's not like his defensive ceiling is so much better this isn't we're not talking about like a i don't know like a miles turner or like a og ananobi type of guy there where it's like oh okay even if the offense doesn't come he's still an extremely useful defensive player so actually you know what i'm gonna move edwards i'm gonna move him down that that part of it spooks that's part of it spooks me a little bit so he's gonna be my tier four he'll be the top of it but he'll be in my tier four so so you now you're putting him below cade i already had him below cade i already had him nine yeah um, yeah so but in I, a tier in a tier below cade it's just the idea point. of what is so not his best case scenario i'm talking more like 75th 80th percentile i'm having trouble describing what what is he doing on that to be like so for cade's 75th to 80th percentile he is a reliable creator maybe not even the lead creator but he's hitting shots off ball and he's competing defensively for edwards his secondary playmaking isn't as good to me as Cade's. i don't think he slides in that well and it's and i mean kate cunningham is a different defender but i'd say that like i i would expect I don't know. I think they're in the same vicinity at bare at bare minimum. And Edwards has improved a lot to get to there. And whereas Cade was, you know, the film on him at OK at OK State was great, and he's competed well. And even if he's not as like strong, but also Cade is taller than Edwards, I believe. Not that height is that important. Yeah, I mean, I think they're and they're pretty. I think they have similar wingspans. They're both like seven foot, seven one. Yeah, wingspan. But obviously, Edwards has way more bounce than For Cade sure. does. I to me, I guess one reason that I do, you know, you do see the physical upside from like what do you what do you think the chances are that edwards is the best offensive player on a top 10 offense in the next 
you know, in his prime. Yeah, I, I do think it's more likely that he kind of ends up in your level of like a, you know, which is obviously he was a very valuable player, kind of more the level of like a Devin Booker, Beal, what Donovan Mitchell has been at times. Like that, that's kind of more where he is, although he has more size than those guys defensively. But I, I do, yeah, him as the heliocentric guy, like a Harden or a Luka level of guy, I think it's pretty unlikely he gets there because I don't think he's that, he's just not as smart as those guys. I don't, I don't think, think he also has like the I don't think his handle is tight enough like some of those other like building blocks aren't quite there yeah he's just not a guy who I think he's gonna be more of a guy like he'll iso but he's not really gonna be the point guard for a team he'll attack some from the wings yeah it'd be nice that he could probably try to get into the post a little bit too but it, it's just I don't see him he's more score than playmaker and I think he's probably always gonna be that and so there is a limit on how high you can push an offense there like, I, I don't even necessarily see him getting to be at the point of a play as a playmaker as like Devin Booker. Now, I, sometimes we underrate how, I shouldn't say easy, but how it is possible to improve there as a pick and roll player where you can just make more reads. And a lot of, in today's NBA, a lot of it is just, you know, where guys are going to be. It's kind of, you know, maybe it's not, you're not Chris Paul levels, but you can at least make some of the basic reads. Um, You know, he hasn't gotten to that point yet. And, but I also just the number of kind of bad shots that he takes and the way that he wants to hold the ball. He's not, I, I don't see him as like a great read and react sort of player. He can get there again because of the physical tools that few of any in NBA history have had. And also, Hey, those physical tools and shooting the ball from three, three as well as he's going to all he has to do is just improve his rim finishing and be kind of the same player he is right now and now you're getting to like a really good offensive player already yep. even if he's not necessarily driving as much for his teammates and you get more shooting around him players actually he'll show some passing acumen at times kind of more more in transition or guys like making cuts across his face that he'll see you know he's not making great passes the weak side yet or anything but it's as i said i think it's harder harder to rank him than probably anyone i would say on this list so i i have him at eight kate at nine they're their own tier there yeah i so i just moved edwards down he is in a he is in my tier four starts that group and then and i will say to kind of set the table for what's next is i i had i didn't rank everybody outside of 10 but i kind of had a rough idea of this group and part of the reason i didn't rank outside 10 is that i did have a player at 10 that i felt better about than the others not so much better that he gets his own tier or that there's a line of separation and that is shay gilgis alexander and Shay last yeah. year. So you and I have that's crazy. You and I have the exact same top ten yeah. in almost the exact same order. Yep, it's it's weird. And we did as as always, we did zero discussion of this. And um, I had moved I moved a couple of guys around, but I will say I didn't. So like we'll talk about the honorable mention guys. There are players that could absolutely end up being better than Shay, but there were none of them that I was absolutely certain of at this point in time. And Gildas Alexander, like the, the individual efficiency numbers on him are concerning and dramatically worse. The ecosystem in OKC is still bad. And last year he got to play at least a lot of the season without Horford, which helped a lot. But he's at 52% true shooting. And are, I would say more concerningly, below 30% on twos and below, or sorry, 30% on threes and below 50% on twos. But yeah, tw 
29% from three and 48% from two. But the pick and roll operation is still there. I'm still not super high on his defense. That's never been a part of the, the, Shea, the Shea story. And so, you know, age 23, so he will graduate off this list. I'll, I'll, I think it's probably good to bring him up in the context of some of the other the other players that I seriously that I seriously considered, but ended up falling behind him. And so one of them is Darius Garland, and that's a huge rise for Darius Garland to be really yep. considered for for top ten. Garland yeah. has he, he was, Garland was in. So I I started a new tier with Shea at ten, and then I had honorable mentions of three other players. So basically, my honorable mention means you're in the same tier as someone who was in the top ten. So this is in the same tier as Shea for me. You're dropping guys down below him. It sounds no, like. I would have Garland in the same tier as Shea as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would. Um, um, and, but and, yeah, so well, for so, Garland, so I mean, quickly Garland. on Shea. Let, let's finish up on Shea here, sure. real quick. Um. You know, I I agree. Let's keep in mind he only played 1180 minutes last year. Yes, and last year was a crazy environment. But I mean, the numbers were unbelievable last year. Right, 63 percent true shooting, 40 percent free throw rate, uh, 28 usage. Also had had more assists last year as well. So he's down in every possible category except how many threes. Saying he, he was shot that 42 percent from three last year. This year it's 29 percent. I mean, he's taking very very difficult attempts. If you look at his percentage of threes assisted that's down a little bit but not a ton like not his shot mix is not that much different than it was last year they're just not going in as much the other thing that's actually a huge difference though is that he has taken 10 percent of fewer of his shots at the rim yes and that those have kind of been pushed out further his floaters are way off this year he was 53 percent last year on floaters now that's 36 percent i clearly to me there was some unsustainable shooting numbers in there particularly given there was only 1180 minutes he's almost already he's only 200 minutes shy this year of where he was last year and he's i think a, a solid shooter but not just like an unbelievable shooter like that and he kind of, he's got that step back to his right from three and like those are those are all impressive and do can i say really that yeah he played a fair number of, of his minutes with horford but you know i don't think that the offensive ecosystem is like that much worse for him this year like they sucked last year they suck again this year so it's just the ball's not going in for him and he's not getting to the rim nearly as much this year as he was last year and so those are those are all concerning things and you know is it possible that he doesn't yeah you know, i think the true player that he is is somewhere in between last year and this year i would agree but you know i know i don't see him shooting 42 percent from three and 53 percent on floaters and also i think he's you know getting the line 40 percent free throw rate i don't expect him to be there every year either so there's a little bit of a concern for me that he's too high i just you know but he's a guy who not quite at an all-star level yet i would say even last year he was probably a little bit below that and again there's the the low number of minutes and it was only 35 games that he played last year less than half the game or not less than half the games pretty close to half the games so he could like it could be that we look back on last year as that, like that was less than half just as a as a kind of note oh right yeah i'm sorry i was thinking it was 66 games what, what is this 2012 yeah it was it 30, was, it was 72 games last year yeah yeah i was like oh it's 66 games that's what it was last year no that was actually 2012 that that's when you know you're getting old when you mistake last year for something that was nine years earlier and you can't actually get distinguished time is a time 
time is a two flat years circle, or Nate. nine years apart. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, uh, you started to get into Garland though, who yeah, I also had in this. Garland has been better than Shea Gilgis Alexander so far this year, but he was obviously worse than him last year. And it's also extremely encouraging that Garland has been he's been the driving force because of circumstances, most notably Shea, uh, Colin Sexton being out for basically the rest of the year. And Garland, we were both intrigued by his three point shooting. He's taken 202 already so far this year. That's not that many less than he took all of last year. So the frequency has really gone up and he's making 39% of them. They are only 30% assisted, sorry, 50% assisted, which is 20% less than last year. So that means they're yeah. harder, they're harder shots. They're going in. We are still dealing with a smaller sample size. You know, Garland's only played in 30 games and he's finishing better at the rim. And that is also important when you consider that they're playing big a lot and they're playing bigs that don't necessarily space the force. I, I've seen some of the skill development there and so the idea that i think there is a totally clear like idea of garland being the lead creator on a good team now that like top five offense that's probably not there but we're talking about one of the like around the 10th prospect we're not talking about the fifth prospect no i i I think that's right and we talked about this i can't remember who it was who asked us this now a couple weeks ago of like i think there is an argument of would you rather have lamello or darius garland i think garland has been better than Lamelo this year he is two years older and he has less size and and all that but yeah i mean his three-point shooting is really good like they're starting to bring him off the ball now for three-point shots which is a a big part when you can add that to your game and give your team something to do particularly as you mentioned with the way they're playing the two bigs a, a reasonable amount of the time and he you mentioned his finishing getting so much better i mean that was the thing that killed him and you wondered whether he's ever going to be able to finish his rookie year he got better last year and now he's way better this year at this point now worth noting there are only 16 yeah. percent of his shots and he still doesn't get to the line much yeah and he's also probably shooting unsustainably well from mid-range at 53 percent let's not get too seduced by that yet that's almost certainly an outlier number um you know and a lot of those a lot of those are floaters and he's still below average at shooting at the rim with 58 percent but again given the spacing issues you mentioned and just his small size like he he's now at the point where it's good enough and he's just driving good offense for a team that doesn't really have many other threats other than him so i, I think he's he's going to be a very quality point guard for a long time i could see him making a couple of, uh, being a lower end all-star at some point so that's I, like i I don't feel uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander has more size, which is why I have him higher. But I could very easily see Darius Garland, who's a year younger, having a superior career from here on out to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Sure, and it's not like it's not like Shea has used that size to be a better defender. Like Shea has been very disappointing on that end his entire career. Could be better eventually Um, in time, like if he thickens up and everything else. Now I did have now these honorable mentions I didn't put in any particular order, but my other two honorable mentions. One is Scotty Barnes. Yep, he's someone who. I think some people might be like, hey, he's been better than Cade this year. Why would you have Cade above him? And obviously Barnes has been in a much better situation. The way he shot the ball from mid-range and even is starting to shoot it from three now just in terms of his aggression and shooting off the dribble it has been really, really impressive. Uh, I do think Barnes's defense has been overrated, particularly as an individual defender so far, but he, he could probably get there. He's a rookie still. He's got, he looks strong, but he doesn't have like that core strength, that old man strength. Yeah, guys are going through him a little bit. He's making plays as a help defender. He likes to push it in transition. He plays really hard. Um, you know, he still has pretty good passing ability as well, whether it's on, you know, kind of post up back downs against the switch. He hasn't done too much pick and roll yet. And you wonder how effective that's going to be if he's not able to really shoot the jumper off the drill, but he might be able to shoot, or at least from three, but he might be able to shoot the two point or 
off the dribble you know in a way that say you know Ben he was kind of compared to Ben Simmons a little bit I think his offensive upside now is much higher than Ben Simmons maybe not the same passer and not the same athlete as Simmons but clearly just as more as a, a shooter he's again to get to the the reason I was so low on him is I thought the jumper was going to be really bad and he's exceeded probably you know he's had more development between then and now than I would have expected in like the first five years it's been really really impressive and he's not quite as explosive as of an athlete as you'd really like him to be he's still solid but he's not like an unbelievable finisher you know he's shooting 59 percent at the rim which is not unbelievably good and 55 percent true shooting for the type of player that he is you would like him to be above league average you think of him as this athletic finisher he's taking a lot of jumpers it's good that he's exploring the studio space there but another reason i'm a, a believer in him at this level is just that he's in toronto and toronto this is the highest pick that this toronto regime has had by far well and, they've had and, a great yeah and not only that but the improvement that we've already seen in the parts of his game that concerned us so sure he's looking more yeah. confident with his jump shot the now we're, we're talking about 46 possessions but he's 67th percentile shooting off the dribble in those 46 possessions that's far better than i would have anticipated we'll see where the full season numbers are but the reason why I had Barnes, and I'm basically in the same part of this conversation as you did, is that I think he profiles as a very good team defender, but not an elite individual defender. And then where does where does he fit in in a successful offense? Like he's, I don't think he's going to have the capability with the ball in his hands of let's say Anthony Edwards, and he hasn't really, you know, the off the catch and shoot stuff hasn't been hasn't been it's been better than I expected, but it's still not the level where it's like oh you're going to have to guard him. So the he has improved and that improvement makes me optimistic that there will be further improvement but that further improvement is required especially because i haven't seen much with barnes and i didn't believe in this like when people would say it on the film of him at florida state i don't think there's an on-ball dominant player there offensively yeah maybe not like, but i think attacking he could be a, mismatch, a guy sure but like you know like yeah. i don't think you're going to use him as your opportunistic creator yeah now just the position that he plays is good i think and i think he at least is going to shoot it well enough to be a power forward he's going to be switchable uh his offensive rebounding adds a really nice dimension his transition play adds a really nice dimension so i, I think he's he's on pace to be exactly what people thought he could be and there is i think there's some possibility that he could be if not a primary offensive option someone that you let create his own offense in in some situations uh, as you mentioned yeah like he's not a number one but i mean who knows right like i mean he could his jumper could get to be good enough that he can actually like be an isolation guy and shoot out a pick and roll and stuff i mean that would you know could can he would he be able to like attack a guy his size in an isolation like that's an interesting question too of just you know will the jumper be good enough to do that because i don't think he's just like so fast that he's just gonna blow by guys but there's there's a lot here there's a lot of moldable clay here i'm fascinated to see where it goes for him like you i didn't have him higher just because i don't see that like true offensive upside and you know true defensive player of the year type of player i mean to to be in the top 10 or even higher on this list you need to be an all-star level offensive player or you know a true you know top five defender in the league i don't quite see that for him but certainly it's been very encouraging for him i have one other player in the honorable mentions here but i'll let you kind of nominate our our next person i don't want to spend a lot of time talking about michael porter jr because a it's 
pretty depressing. Yeah. But I, I I lowered him down a lot. So I I mean if if we're taking the player that MPJ was last so last year, sixty one games, nineteen hundred minutes. 20.6 PER, 66% true shooting on 22 usage. That, like, I, I don't know. I didn't do the full thought experiment of where, if, if this season hadn't happened, where would he place? But I'm... Well, feel, do you want to do that now? I feel like he would have been in my tier three with Mobley and Lamelo and Kate. It's a very different type of player, but that level of, like, efficient jump shot and still flawed defender, but, I mean, a lot of those guys are flawed defenders. It's a different argument, but he was so he was so good at what was going well that it was I mean yeah probably not going to shoot 45% on threes like he did last year which was completely astonishing but if he was a you know if if you saw a 40% 40% three point shooter on that kind of volume with some of the finishing and you know being not being a huge part of like distributing but like that is at his size is just insanely useful yeah i think i would have had him more in in my honorable mentions it's last year's playoffs were a little sobering to me sure because they really needed his offense and he didn't give them much but and, which of the players in this area, so once you get past Jason Tatum, have done anything good in the playoffs? Well, it's more, I mean, a lot of these guys just haven't even had the chance sure. because they're on bad teams. But it's more just he's not really able to do anything off the dribble, not really able to do anything in pick and roll, wasn't effective in isolation. Like, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to do some of that stuff a little bit, right? And, and also the defense, it, it regressed yeah. overall, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean. Not I'd as horrible as your rookie year, him, for sure. Yeah, would have considered consider him a below average defender at power forward and so i this year i dropped him all the way down even below players to watch just because wow. i'm so concerned i'm so concerned about the back and and then i just don't think he necessarily had the upside like, it's just he's just a, a play finisher you know a really efficient play finisher a unique one and you know maybe if he could have improved as a guy coming off of screens or something where but it's just like when you can't run plays for a guy which it just seemed like they couldn't and i'm not sure what the realistic improvement was and now he's missing a whole year of development too at the back and i he's going to come back and not be as explosive i think as he was and that was a big part of why he was good and he'll probably be even stiffer as a defensive player also at the power forward position where that that's a little you know, it's harder to overcome bad defensive power forward than it is lower down the positional spectrum but i mean most of this is just about like this is a second back surgery here he's gonna miss he's now gonna have missed two entire seasons out of four and i i just and i just don't think he's ever gonna be able to do much as an iso guy or an off the dribble guy or a post-up guy and maybe there's some possibility that that could change i was hoping to see that development this year of course that didn't happen so between those two things i think he's just he's gonna be he's gonna be kind of like a slightly more athletic and worse defending boyan bogdanovich is kind of seems what his path is going to be and that's if he makes it back to playing the games i think his capability of you know scaling yeah you're you're right i mean like it, it i just feel like somebody who can do those things at 22 that and especially do those things at 22 when the you know what had dealt with everything else before that and i mean remember how i'm not saying that he was he'll be this skilled before like when we saw him at 17 like he could do more with ball hands like if he has the opportunity to have that development, but it is, he's the hardest guy to place, but it's because of the, because of how, how deeply we are spooked. So who is your last, who is your last guy in that tier? A guy who uh, 
we didn't even come close to discussing last year, Miles Bridges. And so I'm guessing part of the reason for Bridges over Aiton and Allen, who are both still eligible at 23, even though it seems like they're more of what they are, is that is a lot of that the positional element of it because forwards are just so much more valuable than centers? Yeah, that's it. And also that I think centers develop a little bit earlier and wings develop a little bit later. Just what he's been able to do off the dribble this year is extremely exciting as a shot creator. Good in transition, has his moments as a defender. Their whole team is like kind of a bad defending ecosystem right now, but I think he can be totally respectable as a switch defender in a system like that. Maybe not your number one lockdown guy in the perimeter, but I think he can be a, he'll be a number two in time. He is 23 already, but obviously extremely athletic. I, I just really like the way he's been able to drive, create shots attack smaller players even like, hitting some step back threes as well his shooting has gone down some he's down to 33 percent. but i think the fact that he's even capable of taking a lot of these shots is really impressive he's just a, a guy at that position he's probably going to get a max contract or pretty close to it this offseason and maybe you know there's a little bit of a concern that hey he hadn't done anything like this before and so don't go crazy about a, a couple of months but it's not even really based on outlier shooting at this point it's based on just the skill level development that he's shown as an attacker off the dribble that is really most excited me and so that's why i think he has to be in there because i think he he to me could become an all-star wing i think and that's just so valuable and it, so yeah that's why i would have him over deandre ayton who i have in the players to watch group I, i'll tell you who else is in there too but yeah i just i don't know Aiton to me like he might make an all-star team as a center but we've talked about it. he's just not a guy who's going to create offense for you he finishes he's a, i think he's going to be a very solid defensive center higher much higher upside than i thought i don't think he has defensive player of the year upside still though so i think deandre Aiton is going to be a very very solid starter i would feel comfortable giving miles bridges a max contract in age 23 this offseason i would not feel comfortable doing that for deandre Aiton. Well, I, I would do it rather than just lose him obviously but i I, I wouldn't be like, it's, yeah, we'll it, it, do this. It, it's you'd be willing to do it rather than you'd feel good about it. I think that's probably the distinction. And I've, I've brought up Jeremy Grant mostly just because of the shocking development and scaling up of usage for, for Bridges before. But one thing that makes me feel much more comfortable about Miles Bridges than Jeremy Grant in that respect is that Bridges... I don't see the same tunnel vision with him that I do sometimes with Grant. And so the idea there is like, if you're, if you're still looking for teammates and you're driving, but you're still able to make other plays, that is much more positive in terms of fitting into an overall healthy system. And I think that Bridges, you put better talent around him or you put different talent around him. I mean, the, the Hornets have plenty of offensive talent. He can work He can work there. And then defensively also, if Bridges, and we'll see if this holds, but if he sustains at 23, 24 usage and can be above average efficiency, you're probably not going to ask that guy to be your lead perimeter defender. Like that, that's, you know, he's doing enough offensively that being the number two is a lot more palatable. Yeah. And also you mentioned Jeremy Grant. Miles Bridges is doing this at 23 whereas grant had that leap i think at, at 27 right so anybody else in this uh, honorable mention same tier as guys in the top 10 group for you i didn't know where to place jared allen he's the, i would say i considered it but i don't i didn't i didn't necessarily line it up once i kind of had my top 10 allen i'm leaning towards the idea that i want to give mobley more of the credit for the Cavs' defensive success than allen and allen a positive offensive player but i i wonder like like some of these other guys and i would say this is for me as a criticism of DeAndre Ayton as well is that like is there a 24 26 usage player and I'm not even talking about like the Embiid levels or anything like that and with Jared
Jared Allen, I I think he's I think it probably would end up with him not in this tier because like especially compared to somebody like Scotty Barnes, who like like he could be a lot more. I like what Jared Allen is, but the idea that he's going to be either a top five defensive player or an offensive force is just less likely. Yeah, he may end up being a lower end all star. He may even make the all star team this year because Cavs. Uh, although Garland to me is uh, would be more worthy. Than I, I would pick and Garland yeah, and Mobley over Jared Allen personally, though I know that some of the other things yeah. like Allen more. Yeah, and Mobley hasn't played as many games as well. But it, it's for Allen. He's he's at 18 usage, which for one of these kind of rim running center types, like he's done more posting up. He still is at 72 percent true shooting, which I mean that's very valuable. But you know it's not like the Cavs offense is so unbelievable still like he's not driving that he is a play finisher he's a solid defender but I'll put it this way like I don't see him being one of the top five centers I agree like, I, I think it would, it would be difficult for him to get there and and again the replacement level at center is pretty high so yeah I had him kind of I didn't have him in the players to watch players to watch I define as guys who I think of having all-star potential or being a very solid wing starter given what the, have, the scarcity there is. yeah have I I don't uh, so how I like to do prospects to watch it's a little bit of a different intellectual exercise but for me it's the players that did not make this list that I think of as the most likely to make it and a lot of times that's sure. more ceiling plays rather than because you have to be you have that's to reasonable yeah so like for example Tyler Hero is a better player right now than Jalen Green but Jalen Green is in my prospects to watch because I know how he could get there in a way that I'm not as sure about Tyler Hero yeah and Jalen Green the whole Rockets team was really messed up when he played now he's missed almost a month he's coming back actually today supposedly and i think the biggest reason why um and he actually hasn't been like his efficiency hasn't been that terrible for a, a guy like him like he's just below 50 percent true shooting and you know so he he probably actually hasn't been as bad efficiency wise as edwards was at this point last year but he's he, he's very thin he's gonna be a defensive liability for a while and i i think i overrated his shot seeing his shot in person kind of maybe set off mild alarm bells for me it's like oh maybe this form isn't as good as it looks it's like it's kind of weird we talked about that before but he still has an unbelievable first step he's going to become a very good finisher you would think he's not now he can jump off at one or two feet um so he's 19 i thought he would be more ready having played in the g league last year i probably overrated that that was a small sample as well from a shooting perspective uh so i I definitely yeah he's in this players to watch for me certainly i feel worse about him i don't maybe it's unfair i was higher on cade than on him in the draft and that's probably why cade i think has been about as disappointing as green has been so far but again not to the point where you're like you're completely foreclosing on it but green i think in some ways just physically looking as unready as he has i'm well also the also the fall but the fallback like the not the worst case scenario but like some of those other things for cunningham are higher because he's a better off ball shooter and he has positional size and has shown competitiveness defensively so even if Cade can't be the lead guy he can function within an nba team in a way that jalen green being a pretty much a straight straight two and being a thin straight two is is a challenge yeah that's a great point that Cade's floor is higher um I did have DeAndre Ayton in this group uh I think the defensive versatility that he's shown and being 
as valuable as he has been in the playoffs last year. His ability to play post-defense is a valuable skill as well against someone like AD or Jokic, even if it's not. Hasn't the last 10 years been that amazing? He's going to have to go up against Jokic in the playoffs. He probably defends him as well or better than anybody in the league, and he's a really efficient finisher. Again, not a guy, I don't see him being a top five center in the NBA. Maybe I should move him down a little bit. I I just believe a little bit more in his offense than Allen, and I'd say Allen's probably a better defensive player now I think Aiton is has made great strides there and I think they'll end up being kind of similar defensively but I, I don't see Aiton being a top five defensive center or a top five offensive center uh, but he is I think he can generate more shots than your typical just finisher around the rim type guy and maybe and that's why I had him a little bit uh, higher than Jared Allen to in this player's watch even if I don't necessarily think of Aiton being you know what I would consider to be an all-star even though he might make a team my next player to watch is somebody that I was super high on going to the draft and especially recent vintage he's gotten a little bit more of a chance to spread his wings and that's Tyrese Halliburton Halliburton's age 21 season so far the the Kings have a over a one point per possession when he when he's running pick and roll 484 already this year and Halliburton thin has still has kind of a weird jump shot but he could I think he can defend multiple positions even if he's not elite at either and the jump shot is looking better so I, I mean I think Halliburton especially if he gets the opportunity I, I could see him see him moving into the conversation I mean a, you know shooting over 40 percent on threes again still a, a small sample size but I've, I've seen I've seen growth from him and also he's just gotten a different opportunity over the last few weeks with Fox and the protocols yeah he's been uh, on the come lately with the three-point shooting going back up to kind of where it was last year and yeah his pick and roll play has been exciting if he would probably be like in the top three on this list if there were all action on the court occurred on the right side <laughs> Oh boy. Um, but I, I had him lower. I had him in the worth discussing group. I don't see him as being an all-star level of player. I don't think he has quite the handle, quite the individual shot creation. I'm really worried about how thin he is defensively. I, I think he's gonna kind of be end up being a just like slightly worse version of Shade Gilgis Alexander, enough to where I don't think he's gonna be an all-star. Like, I don't think well, he can create oh, okay, here's, as here's, many shots, here's the difference. Finish for me. at the basket. I think there's a I think there's a much higher chance that Halliburton works as a secondary guy because of his shooting than that Shea can even though Shea did it a couple years ago when CP was there yeah I, I think that's reasonable the other I, the two other players we haven't mentioned yet that I have in players to watch is uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Yep. and he was actually seventh his rookie year for me then he was in players to watch the last two years even though he wasn't playing at all but remember he was coming off that great three-point shooting season his second season and then this year is the shooting hasn't quite been where it was two years ago but he's making such strides defensively they're a little bit better he's a little bit better on the boards although he still struggles there but he's starting to he's not fouling as much so he's starting to figure it out defensively to the point where I'm starting to believe that maybe this guy could end up being a defensive difference maker. He also is healthy now, you know, he's, he's which he wasn't at this point last year and it hasn't really had any injury issues so far this year. So you can feel better about that. I would say other than green to me has the highest upside of these guys, guys in this player to watch group. Um, Anything it, I mean, we're running long here, but anything else you would say about Jackson real quickly? I believe in his two way potential and, and a guy, a, a big who can shoot. There's just so many ways to fit that into a successful ecosystem. I mean, I've argued this with Miles Turner forever than somebody who can't. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I had him number two in my players to watch. Yeah, and he has actually, I think, been a little bit disappointing as 
an offensive player this year is only 34% from three. Usage is still pretty high though for this player type, 26%. And his two-point shooting hasn't been amazing either, right? He should not be below 50% from two. Like you want him to be 60% from two. And But I, I think his shooting is going to come around from the outside. He's been more effective. He's playing plenty of four this year as well, but he's been more effective in the past from two-point range. But it, the fact that he's, I'm more impressed with his defensive improvement, which I was starting to worry was never going to come around, than I am concerned with his offense going down a little bit. And then the last guy I have in this players to watch, this is one of those ones that I talked about at the beginning of guys who just because they're young and they have more pathways open to them and I've seen some flashes is going in here and that's Alperin Shingun. Talented passer has shown more defensively than some of the other guys, than than some other guys who are like kind of, I guess you could say like his size. And yeah, I, I'm yeah. fine with that. I actually had him in prospects to watch and then moved him down into others to discuss. But I mean, and Shingun's only 19. He's been extremely productive basically his whole professional life. So I'm fine with that. I had it originally. Yeah, I think between, you know, Demonis Sabonis has been a, a comp for him. I think he could be a little bit better than Sabonis defensively with his rim protection and instincts. And I think, you know, he may not be like quite the masher on the inside in terms of like his efficiency there, but I think he could be an even better passer. Uh, I think, you know, his shooting hasn't been good so far. I think he's going to get there to be a decent shooter. I think he's just better as an individual post player, has more moves, both hands. And, you know, am I saying that I think he's likely going to be an all-star? No, it's very possible that he would just not be on this list next year. But he just, he's got a little bit of that magic with the ball and enough where I'm I'm acknowledging the possibility that this could be a very, very good all-star level offensive player. And in, in a more of a way than someone like Sabonis, where he's actually creating more for his teammates and is more of a offensive hub and one-on-one scoring option uh, than someone like Sabonis. So, and Sabonis, you know, when he was making all-star teams and was under 23, you know, he was kind of probably right in this players to watch group or maybe maybe a little bit below there. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with Shingun. Like, I'm not saying he's for sure going to be an all-star level of player, but I see just a little bit of that potential. And so that's why I have him. Who else do we need to hit on briefly? Cole Anthony has taken major strides to hit to hit the yeah. others to discuss level, but 55% true shooting. He's been basically the only, one of the only good things that's happened for, for Orlando's offense. And that's been encouraging. You could see how it falls off a cliff when he's not on the floor. I still, I, I would say, yeah, he's kind of established himself as like what I would consider to be a future quality starter, but I wouldn't want to go beyond that. Right. Which is huge progress for him after, sure. after a challenging first year. I still don't know what to think about Josh Giddy. I, you know, the passing is definitely exciting, but when the first, even going back to the first times I saw him in person, it's just like, can he do enough to actually make that passing valuable? I'm still skeptical. Yeah. 45% true shooting and the number one way for that to happen probably is if his jump shot comes around and defensively he's got size but he's not going to be a great lateral mover he's i think he can maybe get to be where he's a decent finisher at the rim and more of a transition guy he'll obviously be able to make plays off the ball but he's 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 not going to be a good enough scorer i think to be an all-star is but i think he could be a very valuable secondary player i'm intrigued by Um, jonathan kaminga's potential the uh, the defense yeah you know that's actually i i need to throw him in that in this group too yeah i he's played so little that he didn't show up in some of the searches i was running yeah but uh and i wanted to give just brief mention to some older players who are eligible for this list who might not have that sky high ceiling but are already valuable players on on are valuable players some on good teams some not lou dort 
Desmond Bain, Wendell Carter, and Hero would be here, but I already brought him up earlier. Those guys, like, yeah, they're in the 22-23 range. They're, they don't have that, like, top 10 player at their position upside, I don't think. But there is a lot of utility in somebody who can already do positive things for your team. Yeah, Hero is one where I think we would potentially get some criticism for not having him higher at age 22. His efficiency has started to fall. He's very dependent upon making threes. I don't know how great of a playmaker he is. He's getting attacked defensively. He's small for the two, even though he competes really hard. Has has the negative wingspan. Like, I, I think he, his future is kind of more of a Lou Williams type than as, like, an all-star level of perimeter creator i think that that's just kind of more what i see from him it's just it's just going to be too hard for him to create efficient offense unless he's just you know shooting 50 percent from mid-range or something like that and i think he can fill a valuable role on this heat team because they don't really have anyone else who does shoots from the areas that he does and cre- can create those type of shots but i'm not sure how valuable he would be uh, on another team uh tyrese maxi certainly yep. deserves mention here and some might even say that he should be higher you know he's starting and playing decently for a team in his second year i think he'll be maybe average defensively at the point guard position but he's just i'm not a believer in his off the dribble shooting yet like that was at 40 percent. it's lowering a little bit now it's down at 37 percent. he is a really nice finisher at the rim he's got the floater game but he's gonna have to have a lot of growth as a passer to get into the point where he might be in the all-star conversation i think he's more along the path of being a solid starter but and he's really improved a lot you know i'm not saying I'm not going to completely foreclose on him being an all-star. I think between he and Cole Anthony, those guys are kind of in the same sort of mix to me at this point. Yeah, and with, and with Maxi, like pretty good positional size if he can play point guard offensively. But is he, if the other team sees him on the other side, are they going to change their game plan because Maxi's out there? And he's 21, plenty of time to improve there. But I don't think Maxi has reached that level yet. Even if, like Cole Anthony, he's taken major strides for his rookie year. Jordan Poole, Deserves to be talked about at age 22, 58% true shooting on 25 usage on one of the best teams in the league. And I think you could make the argument that the Warriors ecosystem helps him with some of the off ball stuff, but I think he's, he's got enough size now. He hasn't gotten killed defensively. He's got enough size to be a real two, probably can't switch that well, but he certainly isn't like stopping them from being a good defense when he's out there and he can play off the ball. I think his pick and roll ability might be underutilized. He's got to tighten up his handle more he can't really do much in an isolation which you would like to see but certainly play at age 22 being a quality starter who's efficient at a position where there's not a ton of depth is certainly noteworthy you know do i see him ascending to all-star status maybe not but he also worked really hard he's had a really high rate of improvement now you wonder again like some of these guys like he's had this high rate of improvement does that mean that that's necessarily going to continue maybe not it's not sustainable to just continue to improve exponentially every year i've got i just wanted to mention i don't consider him on the level of someone some of these players we're talking about james wiseman is someone who just needs to be discussed at least just because of his physical tools they're still they're still completely ridiculous even though obviously he was so ineffective last year and hasn't played so far this year i had him on my list as well kelton johnson and rj barrett are wings that can fill a role on a team i just don't think they do enough to like fuel success on either end of the floor but they're capable players already contributing at you know 20 
21 in Barrett's case, 22 in Kel Johnson's case, so I wanted to include them as well. Yeah, Barrett, it's really been disappointing the way he shot the ball so far this year, and I think he hasn't, now that he's had to move into guarding more of lead scorers on the other team, it hasn't looked as good as when Reggie Bullock had that role, and he was kind of the secondary guy. I think he's going to be a quality starter at best. I just don't see the offensive upside with him. I don't see what it is that he's going to do other than just kind of power his way into the lane against smaller guards every once in a while that is going to generate efficient offense for his team Jalen Suggs nightmare start for him but I think the difference is that we were lower on what he was going to be coming into the draft than maybe someone like Jalen Green and he's been what he's supposed to be defensively I still have hope that he can become a solid point guard but man his pick and roll play is awful and he hasn't shot the ball well either he struggled to finish Franz Wagner is going to be a quality starter for a long time but just doesn't really have the upside to be talked about much higher and I think that's about I'll I'll, I'll throw one other floater there he hasn't had the greatest year either but Kevin Porter Jr. has a lot of potential so could he could we feel really differently about him in his age 22 season than we do right now yeah Maybe. So nobody dropped out of the top 10, which is nice to see. Who were the players that moved down the most overall? I didn't have a lot. I, I would say I felt... Well, Zion. Zion's got to be. Yeah, well, I still he, had Zion in number two. two last year. Yeah, I, I had Zion last year at the top of tier two. And if I had done this list at the end of last year, he would have been in tier two by himself. I think that's probably so, where I would have ended up placing him. So yeah, Zion and Zion's fall is the most, like it's the most significant because it's also the highest up. Yeah, because um, I was like, man, it's so encouraging. He made it through a whole season healthy and now I'm saying, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a 25% chance that he's going to spend like two healthy years in a row at this point going forward, right? So that's that's definitely a real, I mean, between the conditioning issues and then a foot as well as just right. Not, and like, like recurrences and, and everything else like that. I would say right. my second biggest follower is Shea. I was super high on him at this point last year. The efficiency numbers were incredible. And now it's the idea that you brought this up in terms of Zion, but like maybe that was the high watermark. It was a small sample size. And at times, I think that his the overall lack of talent in OKC is helping him because like, oh, imagine what he could do with a good team. But at other times, I think it's hurting him. It's it's a challenge. And also with with Shea, so some of it is just that the body of work is worse now than it was then. But the other part is that some of the players around him have just firmed it up. Like, so Anthony Edwards wasn't even really in this last year. And it's like, I feel more confident in him. And LaMelo, like there were parts of that that were conversations like, oh, are you treating LaMelo's upside as being more valuable than what Shea already is? But then what we kind of, one of the things that happened was Shea isn't that guy year to year. That might've been the high water. Yeah, I, I didn't move him down that much. He was nine last year. He's 10 this year year edwards is really the only guy who edwards and mobley surpassed him but uh murray and Adebayo dropped out and i think i have kate above him now too yeah some of these some lower guys as well like oh i yeah, well and then there are yeah. there are guys that aged out that also would have dropped a lot De'Aaron fox probably heads right. that list yeah deandre hunter as well colin sexton i actually had in my players to watch and you know he had a very good statistical year last year but obviously the injury this year and just that he wasn't as central even when he had started playing to what the Cavs were doing and he's really been sort of surpassed by Garland and the positional concerns about him I think there was a thought that he could really be an offensive engine enough to the point where you're willing to overlook some of the the fit and defensive concerns and just due to the injury 
it, his star has just kind of fallen, maybe more so than it's deserved right now. But I think there's just a feeling that he's not necessarily a starter at, at this point, which you know, just which is crazy for a guy who had I think what like 57 percent true shooting and 24 and a half points a game last year. Yeah. Um, guys who moved up the most. Evan Mobley, if he counts, I mean, I I wasn't super high yeah. on him. As, I, I don't think he does. He what we weren't ranking him yeah. last year. So then so. then it's Anthony Edwards, who sure he was when we did this last year had been a massively negative player, looked a lot better after they got Towns back, but that was after we recorded this podcast. And now there's a way for him to be a positive player on a good team. We've already seen stages in that process, and also like the the confidence and more capability from three and the defensive improvement i think is is immensely important as well yeah i would actually say for me miles bridges moved up even higher than sure because edwards at least was the number one overall pick and i'm like all right he's he's got the athletic potential i don't think bridges i was like all right maybe he'll be some three and d wing who got paid 50 million dollars a year and like he's just completely changed what i even was thinking was possible for him deandre ayton certainly moving up for for me based on the playoffs last year he he was had kind of an inconsistent regular season last year but then he's continued to build i think on what he did in the playoffs darius garland season yep garland garland is the other one yeah. who garland getting into moved from kind of the bottom mention. of my prospects to watch into the honorable mention is basically the same tier as as the top guys as a stray note i wonder if there has been a player that has had for me that has had more excitement at times that never will have been in my top 10 prospects than michael porter jr <laughs> i just never never yeah. got to that level at any yeah. point now it, part of that's the timing too yes. right if we had done this at the end of the regular season last year then he probably would have been last year he was he kind of he was dealing with some coronavirus absences at the start of last year and he'd had a rough playoffs the year before and so like we're we're always catching him at the worst time it seems like um players that we are most likely to be wrong about in our ranking i feel like it's kate and anthony edwards and i don't know which way it goes yeah yeah edwards is one to scotty barnes maybe too i think we're still probably going to hear people saying that he's too low right now bridges i might be just over exuberant on we'll see how the rest of his year goes uh i think you know jalen green still has the upside to where like he just hasn't done enough to be higher compared to some of these other guys well, and, and he wasn't a can't miss prospect you and i both really liked him but didn't say oh he he's definitely going to succeed i was a little i think i was a little lower on him but that like so yeah that's a different to me that's a different level where it's like him not being a great player is was within the realm of possibility whereas like let's say Cade failing like Cade not being a starter would have been dumbfounding to me absent injury yeah now uh, and Mobley could make some big strides offensively Ike Lamello could really jump up also there's a lot of 23 year olds who are going to pop off this list to well, so next year with the, actually the that end was something the, I wanted yeah. to discuss so my list the top 10 only has two 20 or sorry three 23 year olds Trey Tatum and Shea Gildas Alexander but something that I thought was really interesting is that my list only has two 22 year olds so what that means is that a full half of this list will be eligible for two or more seasons beyond this year yeah, that's a, that's going to be exciting. And there'll be players, obviously, who come up the way that Garland and, and Edwards did. Uh, Zion could definitely make me feel stupid if he just comes back in in uh, you know at the All Star break and he's in really good shape and he has a great rest of the year and then he stays healthy. Like you'll be right back at the top of this list again, probably. Um, player that you have the highest degree of confidence in the ring. I can go first. Uh, Luca. Yep. 
I mean, he's already been that, he's already been easy. at that level. I, I kind of say we could exempt him from that. Um, I feel I think I feel good about the and it's so funny because I didn't feel this way two years ago, but I think I feel pretty good about where I have Trey like that. The idea yeah. the idea that he is a really good player, but that getting to that like best player in the NBA level is probably just not there. And so it's basically in some ways it's waiting for other guys to potentially pass him, but appreciating what he is. I, I, I feel like I have a good handle on him. Yeah, that's. That seems reasonable for sure. And my hardest to rank were Edwards and Cunningham. It seemed like you felt the the same. Yes. And, well. and Zion, but for different reasons. Right. All right. That was fun. What was that? Two hours? <laughs> More than that as we're recording it. <laughs> I mean, but I wouldn't want this podcast to be any other way. And these guys, like, this is such a fun conversation that I would never want to shortchange it to tighten it up. No, that's true. Well, we thank you so much for listening, being a subscriber, and we will talk to y'all again very soon. Till then. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.